back. We're in Genesis chapter 42, verse 18. Let's go. Chapter 42, 18 of Genesis. So we're talking about Joseph and his brothers. He is testing them. They have shown up. There's a famine in the land, and he is sending them back home to get his youngest brother, Benjamin, because he's the only brother of his that didn't make it. His brothers don't recognize him at this point, but Joseph obviously recognizes them, and he's testing them. Now remember, God, Joseph is a type of Jesus, meaning he points to the future Jesus. We can kind of see Jesus in his character through the Bible. And it says, you shall be tested. God tests us. We have to be prepared for that. He doesn't tempt us, but he does test us. And remember that this famine, this seven-year famine here, is also symbolic of the future tribulation, which is going to last seven years. If you go back and listen to the Revelation study, you'll see exactly that, that the tribulation is going to be seven years. So there's going to be testing during that seven-year tribulation period. There was testing during the seven-year famine. And God is going to test you today, time after time, right? He's not going to tempt you. He is going to test you. Why? Because you're finding out if someone really loves you, if the heart's in it. Because if you test someone to do something and they don't do it, then you're like, Huh, right? Someone says, I really love swimming. And you're like, great, go swim. And they're like, mm, no. Go, come on, show me how you like swimming. Mm, no, I don't feel like it. It's like, I haven't seen you swim in years. Are you sure you can swim? So God tests us. It's like, are you, do you really love me? Show me you love me. When time gets, times get tough, are you still going to love me? When you lose job, when you don't have enough money to pay the bills, when you get sick, when someone you love gets sick, when someone you love dies, when you lose your job, uh, whatever it is, right? Are you still going to love me? So it's that test. So verse 18, then Joseph said to them the third day, do this and live for I fear God. So he's saying you need to do this in order to live. So there's a big threat, right? That's a big test, right? Do this or you're, you're going to die. And he says, for I fear God. And that's a great place to start, right? Fear is the beginning of knowledge. Fear is the beginning of fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of God is the beginning of uh, of wisdom, right? A lot of people say, "Oh, you fear your God?" Yeah, I do, but it's a healthy respect. It's a fear like he's unbelievable and he created me, and I don't fear him like, "Oh, what's he gonna do to me?" I fear him like, "What if I don't obey him?" Right? Like maybe a parent, a child fears a parent with healthy respect, not the kind that abuses their child, but the kind who's like, hmm, if I don't do this thing right, then mom and dad may not let me go to the movie or give me my allowance or let me drive the car, or have my cell phone or what, you know, whatever it is. It's that healthy respect. That, but of course, a, a, a teenager and a child are a lot like we are with God, right? We tend to waffle back and forth. But God is going to be there for us, and he doesn't want us to go to sleep fearing, like, oh, I'm trembling and fearful of God. No, it's just saying, I have a great respect for God, and I want to obey him. Not because I have to, because I want to, right? He doesn't need us for his kingdom. He wants us for his kingdom. He doesn't have to spend eternity with us. He wants to spend eternity with us, and that's why he gives us the chance to be reconciled to him through the death of his son and that blood that was shed on the cross for us, and that is offered universally. We just have to accept it individually. Verse 19, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses. 
and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. So he's testing them. He's like, y'all say, my little brother, of course he's not saying my because he's not telling them that he's their brother. Y'all say my little brother, your little brother too, is alive. Go bring him to me. I got to see if you're actually being honest because in the past, uh, not so honest, right? You lied to dad about me and you sold me to human traffickers. <laughs> so he is testing them. And uh, then the back half of verse 20, it says, and they did so, 21. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. So this is not talking about the Joseph that they just saw because they don't know that Joseph is their brother. They're thinking back into the past. And all of a sudden, it's brought this memory back to them. They're like, we feel guilty about what we did to Joseph, selling him to human traffickers, lying to dad, saying he was dead. And says, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us. So they saw that their little brother was scared and, and, and anguished and wanting them to help him. But they didn't. They refused. And Jesus was on earth, and God, God gave us Israel and the Jewish people as his chosen people originally. But they rebelled and rejected him, and they're the ones who wanted Jesus to die on the cross. Remember, Pontius Pilate's like, I'm going to let him go free. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Barabbas. And the crowd's like, no, give us Jesus. That, so the Jewish people, Israel, put Jesus to death. And he's the Messiah, not just our Messiah, as we call, say the word Christian, which means Christ ones or the way, but he's also the Messiah of the Jewish people. And that's why you have today many people who are what we call Messianic Jews. That means Messianic, which means Messiah, people, Jewish people who believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And that's a Messianic Jew. They kind of keep the Jewish traditions but they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and they're saved. They believe that he died on the cross for their sins. But the majority of Jews either don't believe that there's a God, period. They're atheists, which is just weird. It's just a fraternity to them. Or they believe that there's a God, but the Messiah has not come, that Jesus was not the Messiah, because they say that Jesus couldn't have come. He didn't fulfill the prophecies, and he was the suffering servant, not a conquering king. But if you read the Bible, you see that first he comes as a suffering servant, dies on the cross, then he comes back later after the tribulation as a conquering king and will live with us on the earth or will live with him on the, the earth at that time for a thousand years um, where he'll be the conquering king and we'll be kings and priests with him. And so they're anguished, they're, they're, they're going, reflecting back in time and it says this distress has come upon us. So for them, it's, so for them it's like karma, right? They're like, we did this thing and now it's come back to get us, right? So just for a second, we'll take a little tangent on this car thing of karma because you'll, you'll hear this word tossed around today. You'll even hear Christians say it jokingly, but don't joke about this. This is not funny. This is a religious thing, right? So karma is the belief that what you do will have consequences, good or bad, because the universe, this you know ethereal universe, just wants to reward you or have you suffer consequences for your bad inactions, right? That's completely not biblical. That's completely against the God that we know. God, the true God, the one living God, there is only one God. There can't be multiple gods because then they compete with each other and one would have to be God of the other. And therefore, by definition, there can never have been or be 
more than one God. And by definition, since God is above all, above creation, God has had to have existed forever. And if you say, well, then there must not be a God, go read the book, Atheism is Dead. You'll see tons and tons of research over the past couple decades that just put the nail in the coffin for atheism. Anybody who can hold an atheism, atheistic viewpoint and say that there's no God is completely, completely ignoring, ignorantly, all the facts, all the scientific facts that prove that there is a God and disprove that there is not a God. All right, so in, in the Christian worldview, in the, in the truth, is that there's not this karma, right? What you do on earth, the sins, there will be consequences potentially for some of us during our life, consequences of those sins. And if you never come to repentance, then there'll be eternal consequences for those sins. If you come to the saving grace of Jesus and you offer that gift of free salvation, free gift of salvation, then you may or may not have some consequences from your bad actions, from your sins, your disobedience on this earth, but you'll be forever forgiven of them and you won't suffer eternal consequences. And if you look at some of the greatest people for Jesus who have just loved him through the years and through their lifetime, oftentimes they didn't have much. You could look at them and say, you know, they were living this, this life. They didn't have a big house or even a house. They didn't have money. Um, they, they didn't have this or that, their health was poor, etc. They were serving people over in a different country or in America or whatever it is. But that's their choice of how they chose to serve Jesus. And just because you serve Jesus doesn't mean you're going to be prosperous and rich. That's the false prosperity gospel that's out there. So make sure, my encouragement to you, don't use the word karma. Don't even joke about it. It's not funny because it's a religious view that a lot of people in this world take very seriously and they believe that karma is a true thing that this ethereal universe just rewards you or punishes you based on what you've done and that nothing could be further than the truth um 22 and reuben answered them saying did i not speak to you saying do not sin against this boy and you would not listen therefore behold his blood is now required of us all right so this is reuben he's stepping up and he's saying bro I told y'all not to do that, right? I told y'all not to sell him to the human traffickers, but you did. And now we're suffering, right? We're in the middle of this famine. It's going on. We're hungry. We've got to go out and and try to go all the way back home, get Benjamin, who dad's probably not going to give us, and try to come back. Number one, we could get killed along the way because we're going to have grain, and there's people who are starving along that path on our path home. And they're probably going to try and rob us and potentially kill us just to get our grain. So that's a risk. And then even if we get there, Dad may not let us bring Benjamin back, which means there's going to be death, right? This is a problem, guys. This is a problem. Do you see the can of worms that y'all have opened up? And now check this out. It says, therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. You see, when uh, uh, Pontius Pilate had Jesus before the Jewish people and was asking them, you know, what should we do with them? And they're like, sacrifice him. Pontius Pilate, you know, washed his hands of, and said, you know, my hands are clean of his blood. He's basically like, this is on you, not on me. That's kind of what Reuben was doing. He's like, this is on you, not on me. But Pontius Pilate was not man enough to step up and say, this is wrong. You are wrong. I am not doing this. I'm going to stop this. Because he had the power to do that. 
And Reuben also was a weak, feeble man at that moment. He could have stepped up and done anything. He could have put his life on the line to save his brother from being sold to human traffickers and fought his brothers to the death. But he didn't. He was just like, hey guys, don't do this. Oh, you really want to do this? Oh, okay, go ahead and sell them to human traffickers. Weak, right? So what does this mean for us? It means we need to be strong. We need to stand for the truth. We need to not back down. If we see a an injustice, we need to figure out how to confront it and not just say, oh, right? Which is why it's kind of hard in American politics because on the one hand, you don't want to be this visceral person who's out there, you know, just saying blah, 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 blah. Because those people need to be saved too. We want those people who hate Jesus to come to love Jesus. And we're not going to do it if we're just in their face pointing the finger. But if we don't do anything, we're just going to get rolled over on and we're just kind of standing by letting it all happen, not even trying to participate in the political system that we have. And we have a democracy right now. We can vote and we can lovingly share the truth, um, whether they choose to listen or not. So, you know, this is how we play this out and this is how we apply the Bible. And we are almost done here with this uh, 23 and 24. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for, the, for he spoke to them through an interpreter, and he turned himself away from them and wept. You see, Joseph, we've talked about this, was in disguise. His, he would have been shaved. He probably would have had some makeup on his face, um, would look completely different, a grown man instead of a young teenager. He was speaking a different language, but yet he still understood their language. They didn't understand his. So they didn't know who he was, but Joseph knew that these were his brothers. Now, today, Jewish people don't think that God is listening to them, but he is. He hasn't turned his back on them, but they have turned their back. On him with the exception of the messianic Jews and it says and then he and then wept so Joseph cried right if we look at Luke 1941 um, it says now as he, as he drew near he saw the city and wept over it right Jesus wept over Jerusalem Jesus cried and now Joseph is crying about what he's saying then it says, Then he turned to them again and talked with them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Perhaps one of the biggest takeaways is not to is to understand that there's a lot of words and a lot of things that get thrown around in our society and culture, and one of them is karma. I encourage you not to use the word karma. Certainly don't believe in the concept of, of karma. It is garbage. It is hogwash. Believe in Jesus Christ. Place all your faith in him. Keep your eyes on him. Lord, thank you so much. We thank you for giving us a way out that we can't earn this on our own because there's not enough good deeds that any of us could do to cover up our sins. Who could we, how can we fool ourselves to say, oh, I could do enough good things to cover this up or to think we're a good person? A good person compared to who, Lord? Certainly not compared to you. Maybe to our neighbor. Maybe to Hitler or Saddam Hussein or the Taliban or something like that. But Lord, no one's beyond saving. Help us understand that. Help us to go out lovingly with, and, and share you with people help us to understand that there are eternal consequences for anybody who sinned against you which is everybody and who has not been covered in your righteousness the righteousness that provided through jesus Christ's atonement on the cross help us to understand this lord we ask for you to be with us and guide us today amen
This podcast brought to you in part by the Portfolio Protection Store, where smart investors go to protect their life savings from stock market losses. Visit our website to register for our webinar, theportfolioprotectionstore.com. The webinar is about portfolio protection and safe money ideas for ages 50 plus. Visit theportfolioprotectionstore.com. Located in Austin, Texas, license number 288-7886.